Father, we just want to say thank you for this day and this time together. And God, it's really easy to sit here and sing about how beautiful you are and how all your ways are good and all your ways are beautiful. But Lord, it's piercing to really think about whether or not we believe that. Because life and circumstances don't always line up exactly how we would like for them to. Relationships and situations. Lord, it don't always turn out like we thought it would. But Lord, the question is, is do we believe that everything that's come through our life was done for a purpose and a reason to bring us to the place that we are today for a time such as this. And Lord, this isn't the most meaningful moment that many of us will ever experience in our life. It may be for one or two. Lord, this could be the day that everything changes. But for most people gathered, this could be one of those days where, God, you just do something fresh and new in us. That we're just in a stage in life right now that we just need something to change, something to be different something to work on our hearts to bring us to the point where we are ready for you to work and move. Ready to submit. Ready to just turn it all over to you for the first time. Lord, there might be some people like that who's here today. And Father, the truth is is that we really just have to come to the point where we trust in you where we trust that you are beautiful and your ways are beautiful. And God, from a worldly perspective, your word does not make a lot of sense. It goes against things that we believe and how the rest of the world operates. But God, we have to believe that it's beautiful and it is the right way. Lord, if we don't follow you, if we don't submit ourselves to you, and we don't trust in the fact that you and your ways are beautiful and they are better, we're never going to move past where we are right now. So God, I pray that we would be humble and submissive to you today. That we would trust in you, that we wouldn't just say that we believe in a God or say that we believe in Jesus, but Lord, that we would live like we actually believe in you and believe in your word. And that means that we have to live differently. We have to act differently. We have to make decisions differently. We have to choose friendships and relationships differently. We have to work differently. We have to interact with people differently. Because you have called us to be different than the world. God, I pray that you would speak into our lives this morning. 
Help us to have trust and faith in you when we don't have it within ourselves to do it. God, I pray that we would cry out to you and ask you right now and just be honest and say, God, I don't know why I just don't. Or God, I'm just having a hard time with this. Lord, give me the ability to trust and believe in you when every natural reaction is to pull against you. God, help me to be yours. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for this day and this time together. And I pray that whenever we leave this place, we will be closer to you than what we were when we came. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I know many of you are highly relieved to just be able to sit down after prayer. That's, all, that's been an awkward moment for us for the past several weeks. And uh, we are starting a new series today, and our series is called A Herd Mentality. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever realized this or not, but when you look at people, we were never designed to be alone. You know, a lot of people talk about people following a herd or following a group of people as being a very negative thing, many times it is because our natural instinct is just to couple ourselves with people who have common interests or common desires or, you know, like for whatever reason we get entangled with people and we follow groups of people and we herd up with people. And God designed us to be that way. God designed us to have a herd mentality, to be a part of something or a group of people that's greater than, than we are, to be a part of that. God designed us to be that way. If you ever look at Genesis and you look at going back to creation, it is so interesting when you start reading, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said that it was good. And God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he separated the day from the night. And God said that it was good. And he created dry dry ground, and he grouped the waters together, and then he put fish in the sea and animals on the ground, and And he formed all the plant life and the seeds and all that stuff. And God said that it was good. And God created man. And he saw that it was no. Very good. All right. So he says all this stuff, all of creation. And go back and look at Genesis 1. It's pretty interesting. It's simple. We miss it. But he says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good when he creates man. And then as Adam is in the garden and he's dwelling there, and we don't, I mean, you know, it's like he he creates Adam. And then God notices something. And in all of creation, when he's creating everything, God only says it's not good one time. And he says it's not good for man to be alone. God did not design us to be alone, all right? In Genesis 1, Verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And then he makes all the animals to be the helper, and Adam gets to name them and do all that stuff with them. But it just wasn't enough. And and, and so you could say, Well, James, you know, it's like God's probably talking about marriage in this. I mean, he creates Eve, creates his helpmate, and all that stuff. But you have to look at the whole, when you look at scripture, you got to look at the whole deeper aspect of it's not just about marriage. Because then you look at the New Testament and Paul writes and he talks about, well, you know, if, if it's probably better for you not to be married, but if you get married, it's not a sin. So, so there's this like tension 
in the New Testament church, uh, and even the disciples have this conversation with Jesus, well, wouldn't it be better for you not to be married? And Jesus said, you have said truth. But it's not a sin for us to get married. So, so even in the context of marriage, like there, there's truth in that. But when you look at the, the whole concept of it is just not good for us to be alone. And there's many of you in here where you've been in a situation in your life where you were in a setting, in a classroom, you, you were living in life at some point in time, and you felt absolutely alone. And it did not matter who the person was or what the situation was or how they acted or their morals or their values or their beliefs, you were willing to enter into a friendship or relationship just to have someone. Anybody ever been there? I have. Even as a Christian, like I've been there. Lonely enough to just be like, I just want somebody. God designed us to be that way. People gravitate to groups naturally. You know, we, we gravitate to friends, people who have common interests, common hobbies, different mentality. I mean, you, like politics. Politics is a huge issue of our day. I mean, it's just like, it seems like so much more magnified than what it used to be, and people gravitate towards political groups. Friendships, teams, work. Many of you just hang out with people that you work with because you're with them all the time. It's easy relationships to have. Even dating relationships, a lot of times people will engage in dating relationships because they're easy or they happen naturally and we don't necessarily wait on who we feel like God wants us to be. And some of those, a lot of those things I mentioned, they're not necessarily bad. You with me? Like we, we gravitate to groups of people that we have common interests with. doesn't mean they're sinful. But then you even look at the whole concept of people who like, you ask the question, I don't just, I don't understand how people could get involved in gangs. Like, I don't understand that. Well, the truth is, is that people are lonely. The truth is, is that if you're lonely enough, if you don't feel like there are anybody else in the world who cares about you, you're going to find somebody who makes you feel like they love and care for you, even though they don't. And there's a lot of people, children, teenagers, even adults who are lonely and vulnerable and they get tied up in situations and relationships where they are easily taken advantage of because they desire to just be a part of something, to have someone care for them and love them. And even though it's not real, just to think it, even in social media, like social media is based off of that. It's like to just feel like people are watching you or people care about you or people comment on you. It's like even though they're not really there, it makes you feel like they're there and it makes you feel better because God designed us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And the title of today's sermon is Acknowledging Our Identity When It Comes to the Idea of Being a Part of a Herd. Because you understand this in your friend group, in your relationship, that there are roles that you, you have. Even in the marriage, even in friends, like there's roles that you have. Some of you might, I mean, you might be the class clown. You might be the troublemaker. You might, you know, it's like we all have different roles in different situations. But acknowledging, acknowledging the roles of this relationship. In, in our passage this morning is Psalm 100 verse 3. It's just one verse. And you look at this, and the psalmist writes, he says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. 
And it's a very simple verse, it's very short, but it's so instrumental in our relationship with God. And you go back to what we talked about for the past nine weeks, you look at the Lord's Prayer, and, and the very first part of the Lord's Prayer is acknowledging who God is and where he is and understanding that relationship. And so the psalmist who is worshiping the Lord, and he's writing this psalm, he's writing these poems and these songs, he's talking about the Lord is God. It's not just the Lord. No, the Lord is God. Like Those are two separate things. He is our Lord and he is our God. We are his. He made us. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. And so not only does he own us, not only do we belong to him, but he also owns the pasture upon which we live and we graze and we survive and exist Guys, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that you can truly be saved and be a child of Jesus Christ if you don't understand the concept of the relationship between you and God. Understanding that we really do belong to him. You know, the mentality of people in our culture when it comes to God is just so very different from what you see in Scripture as people are writing these things and they're referring to God and they're worshiping God. I mean, you think about our culture today, and like you have these people, it's like, God's my co-pilot, right? Not my pilot, he's not in control, I'm the one driving, he's my co-pilot. When I decide to take a nap, then he can take over and he can drive when I'm ready for him to, co-pilot. You see the difference in mentality? Like, Like God's my homie, or he's the big guy, or he's upstairs, or he's got my back. Like, no, like he owns us. He created us. We are his. We belong to him. We live in his pasture. And if we don't acknowledge that and come to terms with that in our relationship, in our everyday life, I don't believe that we can truly serve Jesus Christ and be pleasing to him in any way. So when you look at this, point number one, we have to acknowledge that we are his sheep. You got to acknowledge that. And and, and this is really difficult for people to accept. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into detail on how dumb sheep are and all that stuff. If you've been to church any amount of time, you've heard sermons and the parallels and the analogies of how dumb sheep are, and we need God, and there's some truth in that. You can do some quick research and studies like sheep are really dumb, but we are the sheep. That's really hard for a lot of people to understand and contemplate because none of us would sit here this morning and say, how many of you are morons? And you're just like, Raise your hand. We actually had one raise his hand this morning in the first service. It's really funny. Um, but most people, most normal people are not going to sit here and just voluntarily say, yes, I'm a moron. I'm a complete idiot. I need help. Most people, like one of the biggest issues that we have in our culture is for most people to finally admit that they do need help in some way, shape, or form. For a man to pull over and ask directions to try to find something... We don't, you don't realize that now because y'all got GPS now, but back like 20 years ago before GPS was around, it was a miserable car ride whenever that situation came about. And you're just like, can you please just pull over and ask for directions? You're like, absolutely not. I'd rather die. It's hard for us to admit that we need help. And it's not necessarily the whole aspect of, of really just sitting down and saying, okay, we're all dumb. We're incapable of surviving on our own. Because... When you look at it from a worldly perspective, 
there's truth in that spiritually, but worldly, it's, it's not truth. Like it doesn't make sense because there's plenty of people who don't believe in God, who are very success, successful, can accomplish many things, and they just do great in life and they succeed in many different ways, right? But spiritually speaking, there's so many people who have all those things and they're very smart and they're very intelligent. And at the same time, there's these huge gaping holes in their life. And they can have everything they want, everything they desire, everything they need and still feel like they are as empty as the day is long. And it's not the fact that we're incapable or we're not talented or we're not smart or any of us are complete morons. The, the truth is, is really we're just, we're probably more naive than what we would like to admit. Like, like we're easily taken advantage of. We're easily led astray. We're easily lost. And it's like you can look at your children. Nobody in this room would sit here and look at their child day and be like, my child's a complete idiot. Let me tell you how dumb they are. Like, you're not going to sit around and have that conversation for the most part. Some of you maybe, but most people is not going to say that. But you know that raising your child, that as you're growing up from, from early on, even through adolescence, and even sometimes in your young adult years, you can easily be taken advantage of by people. People put their kids, and, and even us as I know adults, grown adults who's been taken advantage of significantly and, and, and been conned out of money and, and conned out of a lot of things in their life and been taken advantage of. We are vulnerable. We're more naive than what we like to think. And the truth is that we're just really, there's a lot of needs in our life that we just can't provide for ourselves. We was looking around this morning. We had like four people in the early service who were in their 90s or older. And it's amazing. Like we can do anything that we want to do. Like we can prepare. We can go to college. We can eat healthy. We can live. We can do all this stuff. But if you actually make it to your 90s, that's like a God thing. You can't make that happen. You know, there's some things in life like we can do, but there's other things in life where we know, like we, we realize this is out of my control. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or whatever you do. It's like some things, it's like, it's a God thing. And there's so many things in life that it's just a God thing that he's in control. And we have to trust in him and we need him. And this past week, John and Betty Bruce, they're another couple in their 90s. And they've kind of been homebound since COVID, and they come by the church once or maybe every, every couple of weeks. And so they stopped by this past week. I was out in the parking lot. I was talking to them. And then Timmy walks out, and he's carrying around Daniel. And he brings Daniel over to their car to show him the baby. And they're just, like, super excited. And John, having, 90, I think, 92 years of wisdom, all right, says something. I saw it was brilliant, especially with what we're talking about today. He said, you know, it's amazing. You look at nature and you look at all these animals that have babies. And within a matter of weeks and at most months, all of those babies are weaned off the mother and they're basically self-sufficient from that point on. In all of nature, like, and I was sitting there, I was like, he's right. You know, it's like, it's pretty incredible how within, from weeks, within a matter of months, for most animals, they're, they're just, they're done. He said, but when you have a baby, when you have a human, he's like, you'll spend the rest of your life taking care of that thing. And he said, it doesn't matter how old they get or how talented they are, or how successful they are, you'll always worry about them. And, and I just thought, man, that's, that's amazing that, you know, when you look at people, like, so, so the analogy in our passage today is sheep and the shepherd. 
and us and God. And when you look at sheep, sheep need a lot of care and supervision, right? If you know anything about them, they need a lot of care and supervision. People need an extraordinary amount of care and supervision. An extraordinary amount of care and supervision. When you, when you start thinking about the things that, that people are vulnerable to, when you start thinking about the things in your life that you have, all the things that you've done to help like keep your kids safe and protect them from, from just dangers in your home. Like I remember as soon as Perry started walking and climbing, it was like our whole mindset had to change and how we like, even how we arranged the silverware in the drawers, because he was reaching up and grabbing knives out of the drawers. So we had to like do everything just to change how we arranged our silverware in the home. So he couldn't just go grab a knife and run around with it. And it's not that he's dumb, but he needs a lot of care and attention to make sure that he doesn't do something to harm himself. He's not, he doesn't wake up in the morning like, how can I kill myself today? But most kids can accomplish a lot, can't they? But we have to take care of them. And just getting to the point where we acknowledge that we are gods, like we are the sheep, we belong to him, and we need his care, we need him to take care of us, he knows how silly we can be, because we can be silly at times, can't we? We can be kind of dumb, make some dumb decisions, we can be silly, we can be unaware, any of you ever just wish like, God, I wish I would have known that was going to happen, we can be completely unaware of things, and we can just be outright stubborn. Like, there's some of us in this room, and it's not even the matter of you being silly or unaware, you just lacking anything. Like, a lot of people out in the world just lack the knowledge of God. There's a lot of people who have the full knowledge of God and is just so stubborn that they're not willing to allow him to be their shepherd and lead them and care for them the way that he's called us to. So be careful not to be stubborn. It's such an easy parallel and analogy to use, and this is why God refers to us as sheep all throughout Scripture, from Old Testament to New Testament. It's, you see this analogy and this parallel happen so many times. And you look at Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 30 through 31. God speaks to Ezekiel, and he tells him in verse 30, he says, In this way they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and they will know that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. And when you start looking at this whole thing, like, you know, we as the American culture is so dangerous when it comes to God. And it comes to the relationship with God because we are so independent and we like to think that we can do this like we're the lone wolves and we do this and we can function on our own and we're self-sufficient and we don't need anything. And when you look at what God is saying, it's like, no, like you need to understand this. Like you are mine. You belong to me. I created you. You are mine. I care for you. The world that you live in is mine. I'm your God and I have spoken. That's it. And there's some of you in here who are parents and you've had these conversations with your kids. And you're just like, no, this is what I said and this is it. And you're not going to discuss it anymore. And God says, he's like, this is it. Like, you are mine. And, and for us to be pleasing to God and honoring to him and living our lives for him, we need to acknowledge that we are his sheep. 
Point number two. And in the same way, you have to acknowledge that God is my shepherd. The shepherd is in charge. The shepherd cares for the herd. And the shepherd is God. When you think about what it means to be a shepherd, you know, if any of you have any experience with farming, you probably have kind of like a negative connotation when it comes to this relationship. Because you're like, well, you know, when I was growing up and we had cows, it was like, if that cow was bad, we sold it and we sent it to the slaughterhouse and it became hamburgers. And it's very important for you to understand today that God is not sitting around. He's like, oh, I got my herd. Which one of them is going to be my supper tonight? Like he's just waiting for the opportunity to take you to the slaughterhouse and turn you into food or you're annoying so he's going to get rid of you or anything like that. Very different relationship from somebody, from our attitude and mentality of how we raise animals and then how God associates himself with being the shepherd and us being the sheep. So in John chapter 10, verse 11, the gospel of John focuses heavily on identifying Jesus as God. Where we get most of our understanding about the relationship between Jesus and God and the deity of Christ comes from the gospel of John as John is writing this. And so Jesus is communicating this message to the people in chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And so when you're thinking about this, and you think about, okay, what does it mean for me to be a sheep and for God to be my shepherd? It's not like God is just sitting around looking at all of us, calling us out, trying to determine which one's going to be good to go to the sale, and which one, like, we got to put some more weight on before we go and slaughter it, and which one we're going to sell off because I don't like that one as much, I'm going to sell it to somebody else. God's not up there playing like games with us trying to make money off of us like we do with our herds and things like that. God loves us. He is very much attached to us. It's not like one of those things where he just bought you and is traded and we're just we're a financial investment to him. No, we are his pleasure. We are his pride and joy. And when you think about it, it's not like he's a hired hand. Jesus said this many times. I'm not the hired hand. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that owns you. And because I own you, I will lay down my life for you. God is not calling us to be slaughtered for his benefit. God has allowed himself, Jesus allowed himself to be slaughtered for our benefit. It's a weird parallel. And it's hard for us to understand. People in the Bible understood it perfectly because they were much more familiar with the concept. But for us, it's a little more difficult. But you have to understand, John chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, Jesus goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Now think about that. The sheep know God. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. We don't serve a shepherd who is abusive or who is just out to make money off of us or who just has this weird plan that we're just somehow a part of. We are the center and focus of his existence. He loves us. He cares for us. Everything he does, he's done for us. Even Jesus coming to die on the cross for our sins, it's so different from everything that we understand. And this is what makes the parallel so much more beautiful when you see it from Old Testament to New Testament. And you have to understand in this that God is not a shepherd. You with me? He's not a shepherd. It's not his profession. 
And you look at the writings of these authors throughout Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament, it always talks about how God is their shepherd. And when you look at point number two, it's not God is a shepherd, God is my shepherd. It needs to be a personal relationship in this. You look at Genesis 48, verse 15. Jacob is on his deathbed and he's blessing Manasseh and he's blessing Ephraim and then he turns to Joseph and he begins to bless Joseph and then he says in verse 15, may the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. See the difference? It's personal. They're acknowledging that God is my shepherd and you're talking about people who are extremely wealthy, extremely powerful people in Scripture, kings, even David in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages of Scripture, probably read at almost every funeral in America, and David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Understanding that God is not just a shepherd, but he's my shepherd, acknowledging that we are his sheep, plays into our understanding our relationship to be able to serve God and be pleasing to him. Without that acknowledgement, how do we please God? How do we serve him? Point number three, we belong in the herd. We do. Like we as people, we hate the aspect of thinking that we can't be independent We hate the aspect of feeling like we're accountable to other people. I know there are people who don't come to church just because they know if, like, I don't come to church, somebody will ask them, well, where were you today? They hate being asked that question. They hate feeling like somebody's following up with them or or checking on them. They hate feeling accountable, like, if I don't show up, then such and such. A lot of kids absolutely hate that because their parents are like, you know, saying, well, why didn't you come to church today? Or why didn't you do this? You need to do this. And, And people hate that. They hate feeling like we have to give an account. But the older you get, the more you realize that there isn't a person on earth who shouldn't be held accountable in some way. You ever think about that? Like kings, queens, presidents, emperors, whatever they may be, there's not a person on earth who shouldn't be held accountable. You believe that? So why shouldn't you be held accountable? Why shouldn't I be held accountable? It's one of the biggest things that we struggle with in a lot of churches today is even Christian leaders living underneath accountability. It's lacking. We live in a culture where we don't want accountability. We want to be in charge of ourselves. And the truth is, is that Christ has called us to be held accountable. We're supposed to be a part of the herd. And you can say, well, I'm an individual. You know, I'm... I, I don't like being a part of big groups and all this stuff, but even as individualistic as you can be, you are drawn to groups of people who have your same interest. Whether it's hobbies or ideologies or government views or you know, sports or whatever it may be. You are drawn to people. You connect with people who have your same interest. You're going to be a part of a herd whether you intentionally do it or not. And the truth is, is you were created to be a part of God's herd, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of the church, whether you realize that or not. You know, Ephesians 6 is a pretty interesting chapter. If you read chapter 6 of Ephesians, most people is going to associate it with the armor of Christ. It's 
that's one of the most famous passages of Scripture. It's what most people know it for. But if you read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6, it's talking about the relationship between children and their parents and slaves and their masters. And it says something along the lines of children, obey your, uh, honor your parents, uh, you know, obey your parents, honor them. And then it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And it talks about slaves, obey your earthly masters, and masters in the same way treat your slaves well and, and not, not to be cruel or harsh to them. And what's going on is, it's this really weird conundrum that the church in Ephesus had, is that these people, uh, um, whenever the church first started in the early church, the, most of the people who were getting saved and being a part of the church early on were slaves, they were considered the weaker, lesser people of their day. I'm going to use quotations whenever I use some of my uh, terms here in a second because I don't want anybody to be offended because I know words offend a lot of people these days. So I'm just going to use quotations. So in these times, in this time, uh, when, when people were getting saved in the early church, most of the people were slaves or servants or they were lower class people. And these people made up the early church significantly. But as time went on, what happens is, is that as you get saved, generally you start telling people that you are close to or work with or associated with about the gospel, right? That's typically what happens. It's what should be happening. So hopefully you're doing that. So these slaves like start telling their masters about the gospel of Jesus Christ and their masters end up coming and getting saved and becoming a part of the church. Children got saved, ended up telling their parents about it. Their parents come and be a part of the church. But typically what happens is the longer you've been in an institution, you generally move in, up in leadership uh, if you've been there longer. So in Ephesus, you had children who were adults, but they're also the child of you know, older adults, were in leadership in the church. And then you had slaves who were in leadership in the church. And then their parents and then their masters started coming to church. And these lesser people had authority over their parents and their masters inside the church. But then whenever they weren't meeting in church, they would go home and the roles would flip-flop and the masters would be over the slaves and the parents would be over the children all over again. Does that make sense? Super confused. How do you operate with that? Well, Paul talks about it. He's like, look, Honor, do what you're supposed to do. Like, honor them. They, they knew the rules inside of church, but how do they function outside of church? Well, you, do, you obey your earthly masters. You do what you're told. Masters, in the same way, treat your slaves the right way. Don't mistreat them. Don't abuse them. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger. That there's an expectation on both parts. There's accountability on both parts. And the church can be very confusing the church is not a perfect place. If you thought it was going to be perfect, it's not. Nothing else in this world is perfect. I don't know why in the world we thought the church would be perfect. But for whatever reason, people do. It's made up of people. People are not perfect. Every other institution is corrupt. Every other institution has faults. The church has faults. The church, there's going to be people in church who's going to wrong you, who's going to offend you. There's going to be things that happen that aren't right. And we'll have to deal with those things whenever they come about. It happens, right? But it does not mean that you have an excuse not to be a part of the body of Christ. And there are people, there are people who will say that they do not have to be a part of the church in order to be saved. And guys, I'm going to tell you, anyone who says 
to you that I don't have to go to church to be saved. I don't have to go to church to be a believer in Jesus Christ is a dangerous person telling a half-truth. You're speaking to someone who does not know God's word and they, don't, they do not understand God's word and they do not understand the whole reason why Jesus came to this earth and then ascended back to heaven. When you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation and you read about Jesus coming and being born of a virgin, dying on a cross, being resurrected from the dead, sending the Holy Spirit to his disciples and training up his disciples to prepare them and telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, it was always the intentions of Christ for the church to be born, for it to exist. And so when you're sitting here this morning and I say, oh, it's important for you to be a part of the herd, you need to understand that it's very important for us as believers in Christ to be a part of the church, to be a part of the body of Christ. When you read Revelation and it talks about the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, guess who's going to be united with Christ? Guess what that is? The church. And it's not perfect. You with me? It's not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm going to do or say something stupid one day. I may like absent, I may accident, I won't, I will try not to purposely offend you. I may offend you one day. I will not try to, but chances are you hang around me long enough, I will. Lord knows, Hannah has dealt with a lot over the years. We're not perfect. It's not perfect, but it doesn't mean that we have an excuse not to be a part of it. And guys, I'm telling you, be weary of people who say, like, I don't have to go to church to be saved. It may not necessarily mean that you have to go to a sanctuary and be there 52 Sundays a year and also go Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. and Like there's all these things that you have to do in order to be a Christian. No, that's not true. Where every single person in this room, you need to be acutely aware of what God's word says about his bride. And for you to speak illy of it, or to feel like you don't have to be a part of his bride is a dangerous place to stand. That's a dangerous position to take. And you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and your family, and your friends, and everything that you do, you really need to take account of your life and what it means for you to be a part of the body of Christ. For me as a pastor, it carries a much more significant weight than it does for you because I'm here basically all week long, for the most part. My need to be here every Sunday is much more significant than most of yours. But you need to figure out in your life what it is that God says, this is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And for some of you, it will be different than others. It's not a perfect attendance sheet. That's not what it means. Because there's some people who go to church every single Sunday and they are not saved. You with me? Like It's possible to have perfect attendance and not be a Christian. You can go to church every day and not be involved in church at all. There's a lot of people who do it. There are a lot of people who's perfected it. But you need to decide in your life what it means when God says, you are supposed to be a part of my body. You are one of my sheep. You are a part of my flock. You're supposed to be in my pasture. You're supposed to be with my sheep so that I can care for you. Because there's a greater plan at work than what we'd like to realize. 
than, than what we consider sometimes. I mean, what's your ultimate goal as a Christian? What do you want? Heaven, eternal life, right? Uh, think about this. In Matthew 25, verses 32 through 33, Jesus is talking about the judgment day. He's talking about what's going to happen when we stand before God in judgment. And he says, all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. And so this morning, like, you have to realize, like, if you say, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ, you start looking at his word, you start looking at what it says. If you want to go to heaven, you got to be a sheep. you got to be a part of the herd. And many people say, well, I'm not going to be a sheep, but I'm not a goat either. Well, it's like, it would be awesome if it was the case, but it's not our choice. You're either a sheep or a goat. It's one or the other. God gets to decide. We stand before God in judgment. We don't get a say-so. It's not like we're going to have an attorney and we're going to mount a defense against him. It's like we're going to stand and he's going to say, I have spoken, this is what you are, now go. Like we read the passage in Ezekiel, for I, the Lord, have spoken. It just is what it is. And it's all going to be based on the decisions that we made in our life right now during this time. And, and what's interesting is, is that, you know, sheep die alone. Like, sheep are really vulnerable anyway. Even in groups, sheep are vulnerable. But especially alone, sheep die from all kinds of stuff. And I was reading this past week, and there was one farmer talking about how one of his sheep tried to go underneath a fence or some, something. There was a hole, and the sheep tried to go underneath it, and the sheep couldn't make it through. But what was really interesting is the sheep wasn't stuck. So when he found the sheep dead, he was able to just pull the sheep out like it wasn't stuck. It just could not make it through the opening, but the sheep was so determined that it was going through the hole and it couldn't make it that it stayed there and it struggled and eventually it just laid there and died, struggling trying to get through the hole that it wanted to go through. And then he just comes and he pulls it out and then they have to dispose of the sheep. Another, another farmer was talking about how he, he found a sheep and he was saying that the sheep got separated from the herd and he didn't say how big the circle, I was kind of curious, but it never said how big the circle was. It said the sheep just walked around in circles, searching for the herd. It never ate, it never drank, and it just walked in circles. And you could see the path where the sheep was walking till eventually it died from starvation and dehydration. There are some of us that are so stubborn, we're trying to do it our own way, and we'll struggle until our very death if we keep trying to do it our own way by ourselves. And there are others of us who are lost and we're looking for something. We're looking for the herd and we just can't find it. Like we don't know what it is we're looking for and we're just walking circles until one day we just fall over and die because we've tried to do it on our own and we can't find what it is we're looking for and we're empty and we need something. And guys, so many people think that we can survive on our own, but we can't. Yes, you can have a good run at your physical life, but spiritually, you cannot live on your own. You cannot have eternal life on your own. God did not design you to be on your own. In John chapter 10, verses 26 through 28, you remember Jesus was talking about him being the good shepherd and him sacrificing his life for the sheep. On down through the conversation, he's looking at the religious leaders. 
And they kind of have their words back and forth. And Jesus says to him, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. He didn't say they weren't sheep. He said, you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. <clears throat> I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me. This morning, you talk about what it means to be a part of the herd, what it means to be a part of God's flock. You're supposed to be a part. I designed you to be a part of it. And you look at this situation, there's sometimes where we follow God and it may feel like that we are absolutely 100% alone. Like we, we say we're, we're following God and we're a part of the flock, but we, don't, we can't see anybody else and we don't feel like anybody else is around us. Times in our relationship with God where, where we may feel lonely, but you have to trust and have faith in God during those times because the truth is that Christ could be leading you and he could be calling you. And if you are a sheep of God, you're going to know his voice. You with me today? Now you need to pay attention to this. Because you don't necessarily have to be staring at the butt of another sheep in order to follow Christ. You don't have to fall in line. You don't have to like be <coughs> at the tail end of a pack trying to follow Christ and what you're doing. And, and, and many times, being a part of the group is not necessarily mean it doesn't necessarily mean that you're following Christ but a true sheep knows the voice of Christ and it follows him and it allows Christ to lead them and the truth is is that while you may feel alone and you can't see any other sheep around you if you listen to the voice of God and you follow him and you allow him to lead you chances are thank you sir you're a good man I appreciate that but if you allow him to lead you there may be a whole flock of sheep behind you following you where you're going. And you need to understand that. It may feel lonely at the time. There may be times where we feel alone. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know God's voice. We need to absolutely 100% know his voice and follow him wherever he takes us. And as Christians, as people, there's some times where we go through life and we just feel like we're not sure if Christ is leading us in a good place. We question it. Like God, the situations, the circumstances, when, when things come up and it isn't what we thought it was going to be. And there are times where life is just hard and you say, well, God, why are you letting this happen? We have a really hard time understanding why bad things would happen when we feel like we're serving God. And it's hard to rationalize that. But the truth is, we have to take a step back and we say, okay, God, you're my shepherd. I'm your sheep. We're living in your pasture. I'm a part of your herd. You lead me where you want me to go. If you want me to go through this valley, I'll go through this valley. If you want me to climb this mountain, we'll climb this mountain. And to trust and believe that wherever God is taking you, that it is better than where you are. Because God knows while we as sheep may struggle to fight through something that we want to go through that place and we kill ourselves doing it or we walk in circles not knowing where we're going and we kill ourselves that way, Jesus can lead us 
to green pastures. He can lay us beside peaceful streams because he's your shepherd. He loves you. He has already sacrificed his life for you so that you could have eternal life. The question is, is whether or not we truly believe him and trust in him for that leadership. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and this time together. God, I pray for these people. I pray for the ones watching. I pray for the ones listening in. God, I ask that you would speak into our hearts. And Lord, it is, it's an analogy that the church has talked about for hundreds of years. Lord, it's something that's simple. It's something that sometimes we just, we overlook it. But God, just to acknowledge that you are our God, you are our shepherd, and we are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. And that God, you have called us to be a part of your body. That's so important. Lord, help us to be obedient and submit ourselves to you because you know what we need even better than ourselves. So God, we put our trust and faith in you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.